All right, if you start making your way back to your seats. Go ahead and open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to throw a curveball at you a little bit tonight, but not too much of a curveball. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. So obviously we're in our summer psalm series, and I should be preaching a psalm tonight. Uh, but I decided to cheat, uh, and in our, in our new members class, we are on the fourth lesson of it, and we are talking about, um, an idea that we, we talk about sort of, uh, periodically here at Kyle Street, and that is the, the idea of every member a discipler, every member being a discipler. Uh, and that's something that we want to encourage and to continue to to put in front of you and remind ourselves and and us orient our church lives around that idea. And so what I'm going to do is instead of just having a sermon on the psalm and then going in there and having that class, I was like, you know, it's been a little while since I preached on that. So we're just going to go. We're going to talk about the same thing that we would in members class in in the sermon um, and kill two birds with one stone. So. So we're talking about this idea of every member a discipler out of Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, verses 17 through 20. Let me go ahead and read that, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day again. We thank you for your word. We thank you for a chance to open it, to talk about your calling on our lives. God, we pray that you would use your word to conform us individually Uh, in our own hearts and minds and character to the image of Jesus Christ. But God, we also ask that you would help us to uh, faithfully apply these truths to our church as a uh, gathered body. Um, God, we recognize that there is a, um, God, there's a gravity that maybe pulls us away from the things that you have called us to. And so in, in, if we, if we get lazy or if we, um, focus our attention on other things, it is easy to fall away from these patterns. And yet, God, the things that we see here in this passage that we call the Great Commission, um, we believe that they sent at the center of the mission and calling that you have, uh, on our lives, uh, on this earth. And so, uh, help us to apply these things individually, help them, help us to apply them as a congregation, um, as we move forward. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have this objective source that we can come to, um, where we can see you and see your character, that we can see ourselves and understand um, our own, uh, God, plight as sinners, but own um, 
God, the, the glory and the incredible um, grace that we have been shown as those who are in Jesus Christ. God, the calling that you have on our lives um, and, and all the many facets that connect to those. Um, help us to, to know you truly and, and rightly as we study together tonight. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, so again, we're coming to this passage, the, the, the Great Commission. And it's a passage that is probably very familiar, um, for, for most of us. It's, it's something that, um, I have preached on multiple times before and will preach on multiple times, multiple times in the future. About every maybe 18 months, I just want to kind of throw this back before you. And so even some of the points that we're going to talk about are probably things that you've heard me talk about from the pulpit before, but it's something that I, I want to continue to put before us. Um, so that our hearts would be to be aligned towards those things. And so um, we talk about this language of every member a discipler. All right. So when we come to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, it doesn't say go and be disciples. Okay. It says go and make disciples. Of all nations. Okay, so what's the distinction between that? What's the distinction between being a disciple and and making a disciple? Because it certainly does not mean that we shouldn't be disciples. In fact, we have to be disciples to go make disciples. Uh, as disciples, we are those who follow Jesus, and as disciple makers, we are those who help other people to follow Jesus. But the connection that we specifically want to make is this: that all disciples are supposed to be disciple makers. Does that make sense? Sort of a simple point. Every member of Christ's church should be about the business of making disciples. That is not just a job for uh, professional Christians. It's not just a job for those in ordained leadership. It's not just for those who are even those who are uh, seasoned in the faith um, to a certain point, right? Who are Who are learned enough and have attained a certain level of maturity or something like that. Uh, making disciples is the job that we're all, all supposed to be about from the get-go, all right? Now, obviously, there's there's things that we learn and different ways that we do that and things that we grow and mature in, but that is supposed to be the, the focus of our, of our hearts and lives. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we start off with this idea is that when Jesus says all authority in, on heaven and on earth has been given to me, what I want you to think about is that, is that this, Jesus is promising us something. He's saying in effect, or at least an implication of that is he's saying, look, you, you don't need gimmicks. Um, you shouldn't even expect that those gimmicks would work if you tried them. All you need is me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus Christ. I am the one who will make these things work and work through you and work in you. What you need is me. We don't need gimmicks. We need the faithful transmission of the gospel to other people. And again, we don't say that we don't want gimmicks or we don't want those kind of things just because we're trying to be in old timey or, or, anti-modern or um, it's not that we just don't like these newfangled ways or something like that, right? We're not, that's not what we're getting at. Um, we just actually believe that Jesus is in control of everything and that the best way to go about things are the way that Jesus has told us to go about them. 
particularly in this passage. And so, again, you've heard me say a million times, it's my opinion that anything that we would do as a church that is has an element of, of being a gimmick um, or, or trying to be attractional in a negative sense um, or whatever, that usually what's happening is all those things are in some way replacing something that we ought to be doing already and trying to, that way we don't have to do this thing that we're commanded to do, but we can get the effect of it from some other way, right? And so instead of us telling people about who Jesus is, um, sort of the themes that we touched on a couple of weeks ago when I preached in Psalm 40 about testifying to the world of the goodness of God and what he's done for you and how he's working in our, our, our lives. Instead of doing that, we say, well, I don't want to talk to people, but maybe if we market better, right? Maybe if we just put some advertisements online or on TV or something, then people will get the message from these things and I won't have to say anything. I think there's always a trade-off there, right? If there's something Jesus has commanded us to do and we are not doing that, then we find substitutes for it. But I think Jesus is, again, pointing to the idea, saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Just do the things that I've called you to do uh, and let those things play out um, as they will. So if we prayerfully, faithfully love, serve, tell, I think God will bless that. And then if nothing happens... If, if God does not bless that, then we'll leave that in God's hands too. And we'll say, you know, man, we are being faithful and, and we are in a time or a place or a situation where that God is just not bringing the fruit the way we might want, but we trust him and, and trust his plan. All right. Only let us be faithful. If we're not being faithful, then, then we have nothing to say to anybody about anything. Okay. If we are sitting here going, man, I don't know why the church isn't or doesn't or won't. And yet we are not being faithful to the things that God has called us to already. Then we have no excuses, right? Because God has told us what to do and we aren't doing it. So let us be faithful. Let us be prayerful. Let us tell and serve and go. And he gives a, a blueprint, I think, for that in this passage. And it certainly can be fleshed out in, in other places in scripture. But I think the basics of that plan are all right here. All right, so let's kind of go through the passage and look at some of these ideas. Again, if you've been here for a while, nothing new is going to be said tonight. Um, these are things that you've heard me say before, and I hope that you have imbibed, but I want you to be reminded of them. Verse 19, go, therefore. We've talked about before about how the Greek um, really gives the sense of not saying go, therefore, but really sort of as you go. As you are going, Make disciples. So what's the implication of that? Making disciples is not something that happens in one particular circumstance. It's not just something that happens at church. It's not just something that happens in Sunday school or small group or VBS. It's not just happens when you go on a mission trip to a foreign country or to a mission camp as we're going this week. All right. As you go, make disciples mean that as you do everything in your life, you should be about the business of making disciples. Again, consider what I said a few weeks ago when we talked about Psalm 40, about testifying to how God has saved you, testifying to how God is blessing you and working in your life currently, testifying to how and what God is teaching you through his word, all right? Those are things that we talked about three weeks ago of just going and sharing and talking about on a regular basis, that we would be the kind of people who, again, using another illustration from the scripture, that we would be like the sower who sows generously. That we are a, a, a planter of seeds 
that isn't concerned about putting them in their specific place in the garden. Man, we just walk down the road, slinging the seeds and letting God take care of where they end up and how they take root and how they grow and how they bear fruit. All right. So, but we do that as we go throughout our lives. We do that in all kinds of circumstances with our family and friends and work and community and neighbors and all those things. And as we go, we are, he says, making disciples, not just being disciples, but making disciples. That is people who have come to trust and follow Jesus Christ, but are also encouraging and helping others to trust and follow Jesus Christ. And obviously we can't take anybody where we have not already been. We have to be disciples following Jesus to lead other people to follow Jesus. So obviously to be a disciple maker, we have to be disciples first. And there's a great passage that has sort of stuck with me um, since seminary. Just a simple phrase that I kind of repeat that we find in in 1 Peter chapter 3, where he talks about the idea that we are all supposed to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be a disciple. But also, we should be helping others grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be a disciple maker. So in that same passage in 1 Peter, he talks about also, just before the passage that says grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, he talks about being diligent. He says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Okay? So that's that should be sort of the task of the disciple is that we should be people who are diligently trying to be found without spot or blemish. That we should be applying the word to our own lives, trying to live in righteousness, trying to live in holiness, trying to live in service um, to those around us, and, and to the best of our abilities, like he says, to live at peace with those around us. There's an intended tension there between what it looks like to be a disciple um, and, and how much of that you're responsible for and how much of that God is doing in you. We, we talk about all the time, there is indicative language in the Bible and there is imperative language in the Bible. There's indicative language about your holiness, which means God is making you holy. And there is imperative language about holiness, which means this is something that you are pursuing and acting on and cooperating in in some way. And so we think of maybe a passage like when Jesus says, abide in me. Okay. We're called to abide in Christ. And he says, if you're not connected to the vine, how are you going to grow, right? That's how a vine works. Abide in me. But that's a weird phrase, right? So on one side, what it means to abide is to sort of rest and sit and have the indicative, right? Uh, God is acting upon you. God is accomplishing these things because you are resting and you're attaching to the vine. But then the interesting thing is we are commanded to abide, Right. Which is interesting. It's like we're commanded to rest in Christ. So go do it. Rest in Christ. Right. Um, that's the picture. And those there's that tension in all through the scriptures of these things. And so we have both of those here. Peter uses that 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 language. Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. We must be diligent and intentional 
marked by care, marked by conscientiousness when it comes to these things. If we don't make it a priority, it will not happen in our lives. And yet at the same time, holiness is not something that we can achieve on our own. It is something that God is working in us. Okay, So that's all connected to this idea of being a disciple. Gospel grounded, again, we're not doing it out of our own strength or power. Gospel grounded, grace-fueled, spirit-filled effort on our part. So again, what does that look like? An illustration that I kind of come back to over and over again is maybe our own discipleship, our own following Jesus is like working out in some ways. And again, I'm sure some of you are looking going, Ash, what do you know about working out, right? Uh, That seems like a poor illustration for you. Superhero teams would have worked very well, but working out, that's probably not your forte. So, but, but here's the deal. I know very little about working out, but here's something I do know. You have different muscle groups, right? You have different parts of your body and different muscles that are worked at by different exercises. And also there's a process by which when you work out in the same way all the time over a long period of time, you sort of have a diminishing returns, right? And so there needs to be a diversification, diversification of your workout, right? You need to change it up somehow. I think there are some illustrations there to how we deal with our own spiritual growth. You have different muscle groups, okay? And the problem is that spiritually, There are lots of people in the world who are like, you know, the guys that are all like jacked up top and they've got skinny little legs or whatever, right? That happens. That happens spiritually too. You have people who have zoomed in on one area of spiritual discipleship and, and man, they've, they've got a, they've got a lock on it. They're really solid on it. And yet they're ignoring all these other aspects. And then you've also got situations where people are doing the same thing over and over again, and, and they're starting to see that it's maybe not the most effective way. And so, again, thinking about spiritual muscle groups, man, there's, there's certain spiritual muscle groups, different ways we can exercise uh, in terms of growing as disciples. There's Bible knowledge, prayer, service, fellowship, uh, missions, worship. And then each of those could really be broken down into dozens, maybe more uh, different aspects of those things. We could talk about theology or Bible or philosophy or apologetics or fasting or missions or evangelism or mercy ministry or community outreach or empathy or orphans or widows or ministry to internationals or special needs or leadership issues or languages or generosity or parenting or marriage or humility or servanthood or counseling or meditation, love, joy, peace, patience. There's all these different aspects of each of these, different kind of ways that we would work out and grow in terms of our discipleship. And so being diligent about being a disciple is not just about like reading your Bible every day, although I encourage you to read your Bible every day, but we pursue growth by taking advantage of all the means of grace, right? Everything that God has put out there that could help us grow, we should take advantage and be diligent in all those things. It's about recognizing that Jesus intends to work every muscle, spiritual muscle in you, okay? He doesn't want jacked dudes with skinny legs, okay? He wants people who are healthy from head to toe when it comes to spiritual things. And again, moreover, being diligent about discipleship may also mean that you need to mix up your routine in some ways. If you're a heady theology dude, 
then maybe you need to go lift some heavy boxes at a food pantry. Uh, that would probably be the better thing for you. If you're the kind of person who always wants to serve or connect or grow in a certain context, maybe you need to diversify a little bit and find a different place to, to do that. Um, you know what? I encourage you, and I'm about to encourage you again in just a few minutes about spending one-on-one -on -one time with somebody that you can maybe go and meet at a coffee house and talk about the word and talk about life and things like that. But you know what? If you've done that for a long time, maybe it's time to, instead of meeting up once a week with somebody who you're really close to and really good friends with, maybe you need to branch out and go meet an international student at Maribel College who's trying to learn English and sit across from them on a weekly basis and have a weird, awkward, strained conversation because you don't speak the same language. Um, that may be more spiritually beneficial for you and certainly for them, then you going and seeing the same person that you talk to about things every single week. That's not to, 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 to minimize or negate the other relationship, but it's to say maybe it's time for you to do something different to grow in a different way. So again, you can think of it sort of like what parts of your, what parts of your spirituality are your bulging biceps? Um, that you get a lot of attention for? And what are your skinny little calves um, that, that you never put any effort into? Maybe it's time to start putting some more effort into those other means of grace that you were less comfortable in. So diligence is about conscientiousness. It's about paying attention to the ignored details. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and we help others grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? How do we help other people grow in these things? Well, we see something in the life and ministry of Jesus that's pretty obvious. And, and I think it's, it's something that we can use as a model for our own relationships. And that is Jesus ministered and made disciples by being in relationship with people. He did it relationally. And so an idea that we talk about at, at College Street um, is, is this idea of 1-3-12, right? You've heard me talk about that before, right? 1-3-12 relationships, or maybe a, a, a true way of saying it is 1-1-1, 3 or 4, 12 relationships. But that doesn't flow off the tongue very well. So we'll just call it 1-3-12 relationships. What do I mean by that? You need somebody in your life who is a one. You need a one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody. You need somebody in your life who you can be deeply transparent with, who, who can hold you accountable and ask difficult questions to you that are embarrassing or, uh, you know, get in your face, get in your business. You need somebody like that. In fact, you probably, ideally, and I know we're talking about time now, we're saying, man, who has time for this Step. But man, it would be ideal for you to have three of those people, for you to have what we would call maybe a Timothy and a Barnabas and a Paul, right? It would be ideal for you to have someone who is further down, I mean, not quite as far along as you in the faith, a Timothy. It would be nice for you to have a peer, somebody who's right there with you, a Barnabas, and it would be nice for you to have a Paul, a mentor, someone further down the track who you could live in community with and have all of these things with, right? Somebody that you're talking to deeply and intimately about the things of faith and the things of life. Um, I know that's hard. It's not easy. I can be honest. I have searched my whole life, my whole ministry, and I've never had all three of those at the same time. 
All right. I've had, you know, a Timothy here and a Barnabas here and, and a few Pauls for certain amounts of time or whatever. They're not easy relationships to form because you can't force them in many cases, right? It's just, you can't just walk up to somebody and say, I want you to be my intimate accountability partner, right? It just, it doesn't often work that way, okay? But here's the deal. We should be conscientious and diligent about it. We should be looking for those kind of people and and trying to nurture those kind of relationships, okay? So you need a one. Maybe you need three ones, right? I think, and we see that in Jesus' life. That's That would be the, the, the main point. We see that in Jesus' life. Jesus had a one. Jesus had somebody who seemed to be a close personal friend that was more close to him than everybody else was. And that person was the the Apostle John, okay? Um, He seems to have had a unique relationship with John. They're actually probably related uh, if we we sort of draw some inferences from from different things in Scripture. They're probably cousins. But but regardless of that... This is somebody who is his, it seems to be his closest personal friend of his, of his disciples. But we also know that he had another group, a group of about three or four um, apostles who we have a, a name for. They have been dubbed the inner circle um, of Jesus' disciples. And that is the group that is James and John and Peter. And sometimes Andrew gets to come along. I'm not sure why Andrew gets left out. It, it sort of feels sad, right? Like you're always like, oh, these three guys are always getting invited and every once in a while they're like, Andrew, I guess, come on. Uh, and he gets to come along too. Okay. But there's this interesting idea, right? Jesus seems to have an inner circle. Okay. While he may not have, he may not be as close to all three of these guys as he is to John. He certainly seems to have a closer relationship to them than he does to the larger 12. Okay. I think you need a group of people like this in your life too. You need a group of people Three, maybe four people that meet together and, and have a, have a closeness that is closer than, than it is with the general population, but maybe not as close as that, as that, uh, one-on-one relationship that you have. Uh, as an illustration, I love the picture of, of what are called fire teams in the military. Okay. So in the army, the smallest um, I don't know what you, the word you would use, maybe tactical unit of the army is what's basically called a fire team. And it's four people. Okay. And in, and in battle situations, like say in Vietnam, it, you had a, you had basically a, a team leader and you had a, a heavy machine gunner and you had a grenade guy and you had a rifleman. That was your four people. But the idea was this group of four soldiers, they go out and do things together right? They are watching each other's back. They are speaking into each other's lives in a unique way. They know each other so well that they don't have to have all these conversations because there is an intimacy and a, and a sort of a, they know how each other reacts to things. Okay. You need people like that in your life. You need to have a group of people who are a, a small, a small group like that. All right. Um, another group that you should have that Jesus also had. Jesus had a group of about 12. And so in general, we have sort of said, Hey, this is what we're shooting for in our small groups. Okay. We are shooting for our small groups to be about that. Now, what we have obviously discovered in our small groups is man, that they are, there's, they're very, they're hard to keep organized. Okay. Right. Um, with, with, the, the stage of life many people are in and the different things that are going on and, and having little ones and, and all the different things. 
But ideally, what would the picture be? It is, it would be a picture like Jesus had. Jesus had a group of 12, these 12 disciples who he specifically poured into, who he specifically ministered to, who were in conversation with each other, who were serving together and working together and learning together. And, and again, there might be other ways to go about that, but the way we have thought about it in our church is to say, this is what our small group should function as. So if you're going to Mother Church on Wednesday night, meeting with the group that meets there, if you're going over to the Moore's house on Sunday afternoons with the group that meets there, we've had other groups that have met at other times over the course of, of, of the, the church's life. That's the idea of that group. It is filling the spot of one of these groups. So um, when we look through our church, uh, the different entities, not the entities, but the different activities that we do, each one kind of serves potentially some of these different functions, right? So we have these, we have these small groups that, that function as the 12. Um, we sometimes have these smaller discipleship groups and book studies that, that could act as a substitute 12, or they might for, in certain circumstances, act as an even a three or a four, depending on how they played out or something. Um, the women's groups and uh, the men's groups that have met at different times, women's group that is currently meeting, the men's group that the leadership meetings and stuff, they serve some of these functions, right? And again, we're, we're not just zooming in. We're not saying it has to be in this category. It has to be in this court category, but they are serve, sort of serving and playing those functions. Um, we're about to start up another discipleship class in the fall. So we're going to be going through a nine marks, um, uh, not a curriculum, but we're going to be talking about the nine marks of the healthy church, but at the same time, nine marks of a healthy church member, which are two different separate ideas, but yet they relate to each other. We're going to be going through that over the course of the fall. That'll be a discipleship class on Sunday nights before service. And so hope that you can come and be a part of that if you'd, if you'd like to be. That would probably be a small group, kind of 12 kind of idea of group. But if there's only three or four of us that show up, who knows? Maybe something forms out of that. It doesn't just automatically take the place of that three or four, but maybe something forms where those three or four people who show up every week go, we would like to continue to meet in other contexts and, and sort of be that group of people for each other. Those, so all of these different groups, and it's something that we need to work on. Obviously, when it comes to the one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff, it's, it's hard for the church can't really assign that oftentimes. Like, it'd be nice if we could. Like, it'd be cool if I could just say, you and you, start meeting every week or whatever. But it probably isn't going to work like that. It's got to be something that you are thinking of, diligent about, seeking out in your own life, and trying to make time for so we, we, we look at all these different pieces, right? Jesus says, make disciples as you go. He gives us this model of doing that in the context of relationships. And then I think he says three particular things that we're pointing people towards. Number one, he says, as we make disciples, what we do, we are baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's that about? Well, baptism could imply and connect to many different themes and issues in scripture. But here's one thing for sure. Um, baptism has always been in the church a public declaration of faith. And it has also typically served as your initiation into the church in some way. All right. Now, again, 
depending on your understanding of baptism, whether it's something you do as an infant or something that you do as, as a, a born-again believer, um, that changes some of the picture there. But it is still a symbol of the fact that you were connected to the body of the church. So again, it's for all of church history, pretty much. It is the primary declaration of belief, and it is the initiation and symbol and ritual into the church. So what do you think partially that means? You might say, well, Ash, I'm not... Seems weird for me to be baptizing people as I go, right? That doesn't, that doesn't, it's not typically, um, how the church works. What is that pointing us to? Well, I think what it's pointing us to is as we make disciples, we are pointing them back to the church. Okay. You're not just trying to make free agent, free range disciples out there who are wandering the streets. Okay. You're trying to make disciples that you feed back into the church. So that they can have a community that is, is, is helpful and nurturing and that they can serve and be a part of. Okay. That's one of the things that we do as we make disciples. And so church attendance, church membership, the accountability and responsibility and community that come uh, along with those things. We're unapologetic about those things. Those are goods. Okay. Those are good things that we don't, uh, we don't apologize for. We think you should be attending church regularly. We think you should be uh, a member of a church. We think there should be people who you have said, I allow and I agree that you are going to speak into my life and I'm going to speak into yours. I'm going to take responsibility for you and you're going to take responsibility for me. I'm going to serve you and you're going to serve me. There should be people like that in your life. We keep on seeing in our culture the rise of this category of people who are called the nuns. Right. Not like nuns with the habit in the, you know, the headdress or whatever, but nuns as in when they write what religion they are associated with on any kind of document, they put none. We're seeing a rise in that historically in our country. We didn't have many of those people. Everybody associated with something, but more and more people are associating as none. They, they throw off all religious affiliation or association. They don't identify with a church. They don't identify with a denomination. They don't even identify with a religion. But that's not how we're called to live according to the scriptures, right? We are called to be united to Christ and united to Christ's church. And so if the Bible describes us as a body, then there are no autonomous hands just floating around other than the Adams family, like they're, they're no, you don't have that out in the world, right? You don't have hearts just sitting out there. You don't have heads just floating around. We have bodies and bodies are united. We are a body. Each one of us is a part of that body. And that, that body has unity and, and membership and belonging and usefulness to, to, uh, the, the whole unit, right? And so that's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. We're called to evangelize, make disciples. But making disciples as we go means you're going to be bringing people into the church. You're going to be associating them with the church. All right. Not only are you going to be associating them with the church, but you're going to be pointing them to the word. Verse 20. You're going to be teaching them to command, uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. All right. That's the next thing. Our discipleship. As we make disciples, we are specifically, for lack of a better way of saying it, obedience-focused. And therefore, we are particularly word-focused. 
God has told us things to do. And we are, as disciple makers, telling people what those things are. Now, again, there's more to it than just that, but we are always pointing everybody to the word. How it directs us in terms of the many acts of service and the postures and and personal spirituality and practices and life and mission and all the things that the Bible calls us to. And living out the commands of Jesus, that observance or that obedience It can't save you, right? We can't be saved by our obedience, but it is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? To follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. That's just the way it is. And so what are we calling people into? We are not just saying, hey, person, believe in Jesus and then go about your life. We are saying, no, believe on Jesus and then come and follow him. And how do we know what it looks like to follow him? Because we point them to the word. The word tells us what it looks like to follow him. So as we make disciples, we point them to the church. We point them to the word. That's what it means to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And obviously, and maybe most importantly, thirdly, we point them to Jesus himself. We're always pointing people to Jesus. Because Jesus promises there at the end of the Great Commission, behold, I'm with you always even until the end of the age. So again, we live in this epochal era of change in our culture. Once upon a time, um, you could have lived in a small Southern Bible Belt town and said, man, all this goofy stuff that the world is throwing at us, it didn't have anything to do with me, man. People don't live that way where I live. It's just not a problem. The problem is, is that um, with all this great, cultural change that has gone on, um, in a sense, all culture is becoming world culture, right? Because of the internet, because of social media, because of things like that, all culture is becoming world culture. And it's getting to the point where, yeah, once upon a time, just to move into another region would change the way you saw things. But more and more, People in lots of places think the same way because of of the ubiquity of media and the internet and stuff like that. We are globalizing as a society, not just in terms of economics, not just in terms of industry and things like that, but in terms of ideas, in terms of worldview, right? That's why you see crazy things like, you know, these cultures all around the world that are picking up on the transgender movement or something that would have not had any inclinations in that way just a few short years ago but it's on the internet now. Um, there was the interesting thing, just as an illustration, there was, a, I was listening to somebody talk about a Black Lives Matter march in England that has certainly had a very different history than, the, than America, and, and certainly the American South has had when it comes to the issues of race relations, right? Um, and yet there was a Black Lives Matter rally going on there. Well, why is that? Well, because that cause is is a worldwide cause now, right? Um, there are people having Black Lives Matter rallies in countries that don't even have black people that live in them, right? Um, because culture is becoming worldwide. Movements are worldwide, right? It's not as localized anymore. And so the times are changing, and, and that may seem terrifying in some ways, um, but the truth is, is it doesn't take into account that times have always been changing in some ways, but there is one thing that stays the same. 
no matter what, and has always has and always will. And that's Jesus. Jesus never changes. He is the same in every context. He is the same in every century. He is the same in every culture. Every single time Jesus steps in, Jesus is Jesus, and everything else is supposed to reorient around him. And if Jesus is different, then the Jesus you're believing in probably isn't the real one. Okay, if you've made a 21st century Jesus or you've made a white Jesus or you've made an American Jesus or you've made a Marxist Jesus or something like that, as we say, anytime you add a word to the beginning of Christianity, it probably ceases to be Christianity. If you're like, well, this is woke Christianity, it's not anymore. If this is fundamentalist Christianity, it's not anymore. Right. Um, you have probably changed something uh, nationalistic Christianity. You've probably changed something that is that is intrinsic to it because you've probably changed Jesus. But what we should do is always be pointing people to Jesus because he doesn't change. Point people to his church, point people to his word, point people to Jesus Christ himself. That, that's what it means to make disciples. Right. If you're going out of here and saying, you know what I really need to do? I'm going to go out and get some people to be Republican, right? That's the wrong thing that you're supposed to be focused on, okay? Now, again, you can go make people Republican on your own time if you feel like that's what you want to do, if that's where your beliefs in these things exist. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to the calling of Jesus Christ, we are pointing to people towards the Bible, pointing people towards his church, and pointing people towards Jesus Christ himself. That's what it means to make disciples, And at the end of the day, if you present people with who Jesus is and they reject Jesus, I'm fine with that. Because the truth is, there's lots of people in this world that don't want Jesus. They're not interested in him. What he is offering is not something that they want. Okay, there's that lie in the world that says, you know what, if Christians would just present Jesus better, like uh, everybody would believe. And the answer is wrong. When Jesus was here. Presenting himself, most people didn't want to believe in it, okay? The path is narrow. It's not our job to get numbers. It's not our job to 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 get results. What is our job? Our job is to say, I am pointing people towards Jesus Christ in his word, in his church, and I'll let the chips fall where they may. We trust God's authority in all of these things. And as we go, We make disciples through relationships, bringing them into the family and the body of the church, teaching people the full counsel of God's word, pointing them towards Jesus Christ, and leaving it in God's hands. That's what we're called to do as we make disciples. And that's what I hope you will think of as you make disciples. And I want you to think of those relationships. I want you to think of these groups, right? Our our, our groups, we need to kind of... Uh, shore up and reassess because they're a little wonky right now. Um, again, some of that's because of the, the weirdness of things, the growing pains of things and all that stuff like that. That's, that's, that's just the way things are, but it's something for us to focus on to say, Hey, I want to be a disciple maker and I want to, I want to be in relationship with people and I want to be pointing them towards these, these different things that we've talked about. So, um, that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Uh, new church applicants. Um, that's what the class was about today, right? The idea that that's what we want to be those kind of people. If, if somebody were to walk out, what I would love, and I don't know if it's the truth of our, of our church right now, but if someone were to say, 
What does it look like over there at College Street? What are those people like? What I hope, what I wish they would say is those people are disciple makers. That's what they are. They're making disciples over there. Okay. Um, that's our primary calling, I think. And that's what I hope people would say about us. Whether they would say that about us right now, I don't know. But that's what we should be shooting for as individuals and as a, as a congregation. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know it's an abrupt sort of uh, conclusion, but let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask those very things. Would you keep these things on the, on the dashboard of your heart, right? Thinking to yourself all the time saying, um, do I have these kind of relationships in my life? Are there people who are pouring into me and helping me to be a disciple? Are there people that I'm pouring into and I'm helping them to be a disciple? Um, Ash, what if I want these things, but I just don't know who those people are in my life right now? I know that's an issue, right? People have that. They say, gosh, I wish I had somebody who was an older, more mature person in the faith that was pouring into me, but I just don't know that person right now, Ash. Um, that's something to pray about. It's something to be seeking and thoughtful and eyes open and, and, and looking for or whatever. And, and I think God will be faithful in, uh, provide us with those opportunities and those relationships. So let's go to the Lord, ask him to work these things, ask him to keep us diligent and focused on being disciple makers. And, um, and we will see him work through those things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we simply pray that you would help us to accomplish the mission that you have called us to. God, you have told us that as we go, we are to make disciples. Father, we ask that you would help us to be disciples, God, that we would be diligent, that we would exercise um, our spiritual muscle, that we would um, seek to, to take advantage of all the means of grace that you have put uh, before us. And that as we are growing in our own discipleship, God, that intrinsic to that would be about sharing that, testifying to that, bearing witness to that, to those around us, um, to helping them to follow Jesus as well, to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples um, by entering into relationships, by sharing our lives, by taking responsibility for, for the care and concern and nurture that comes along with making disciples. God, that you would put those people in our path, that you would match up um, personalities and backgrounds and and things that um, specific issues in life that that um, would make people more compatible, God. Um, God, that you would put us with the best possible people. Um, if we need people like us, then put us with them. If, if there's people that are different than us that you want us to be with to to challenge us and 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 stretch us then god put us with those people um, but help us to focus help us to keep these things before our eyes and to seek after them in all circumstances um, god help us to be disciple makers we thank you we praise you we ask these things in jesus name amen Thank you.
Amen. Um, good to see you. Glad you're here this week. Um, let me remind you about the two sign-up sheets out front, one for Metcalf Bottoms uh, picnic in two weeks and the other for uh, the service project um, with Second Harvest coming up in August. Uh, make sure you you sign up for those if you're going to be part of them um, as you as you leave tonight. Um, and other than that, uh, we'll see you next week. Kyle is going to be sharing with us next week uh, out of Psalm... Yeah, uh-huh. 20. Um, so uh, hope you'll be here for that to encourage him. 
And um, as we as we sort of finish out probably our our uh, summer song series. So uh, have a good week. See you next week. Here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week. Thank you.